with me, please, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. So Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now in the year 2020, this year, roughly about 140 million babies were born into this world. And for the vast majority of those births, it was known only to a handful of people. It was really only meaningful to the parents and to the extended family of the parents and to some friends. But unless that child was born into royalty or to some famous person, as far as the world was concerned, it really meant nothing, at least not yet. But for all those unheralded births, uh, there will come forth future world leaders. There'll be great industrialists. There'll be brilliant scientists and surgeons. Uh, there'll be great innovators and inventors. There'll be geniuses regarding technology. And there'll be tremendous evangelists. And great preachers will rise up. And courageous missionaries. And outstanding church leaders. It's always been that way. 2,000 years ago, a baby was born in Bethlehem, Judea. And apart from Mary and Joseph and a few shepherds, the event went almost entirely unnoticed. Had the innkeeper known that his Messiah was being born in his barn, I have no doubt he would have made room in his home for Mary and for Joseph. And even the shepherds who had that extraordinary angelic encounter out in the fields and how when they got the good news they rushed to see the babe in the stable and then after that they went out and they told everybody they could find about the Christ that was born but what happened nothing nothing you would have thought the whole town would have been rushing to see that little child but no the census had to be taken Life went on as usual. And right there and then, the greatest event in all human history was the birth of the Savior of the world. And it was taking place, but only a handful of people took notice, at least at that time. Because later, they would take notice. In fact, that babe was destined to become the most influential person on the whole planet. Jesus of Nazareth would have more followers than anybody else in history. More books would be written about him, more songs would be sung about him, more stories would be told about him than anybody else who ever lived. And the Bible records his life story and it is still by far the biggest selling book in history. Though he himself never wrote a book never raised up an army, never took up arms, never held an office, either in church or at state, had no wealth, had no scholarly credentials, never married, never had any children of his own, yet after 2,000 years, people will still to this day lay down their lives for him and his cause. 
He was born in a borrowed stable. He buried in a borrowed tomb. As far as this world was concerned, ah, he died of failure by men's standards. Yet after two millennia, there are still people today that are followers. He has touched more lives than any other person who has ever lived. If I may borrow a thought from one of old. Imagine if you were going to write a book, a biography, about some famous person. Maybe Abraham Lincoln or Julius Caesar or Napoleon or Alexander the Great or even Winston Churchill or perhaps even the Queen of England. You would have access to thousands and thousands of books and articles. In fact, via the internet, at your disposal, will be every library in the world. And if you were going to publish an accurate, trustworthy, gold standard historical book about the character of that person, then you'd have to read all of those books and articles to get a true picture. But here's the amazing thing. All that we ever need to know about the character of Jesus Christ, you can find it in this little book here, the New Testament. I could put that in my top shirt pocket. And everything I need to know about his character is right here. In fact, almost everything I need to know about his character, I can find in those four Gospels. And God made it so. So we don't have to scour the world's libraries. We don't have to read a million articles. We've got it right here in our hand. Your pocket or in your purse. The gospel writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing about Jesus, said absolutely nothing about his height, his stature, the color of his hair, the color of his eyes. We know nothing about the sound of his voice. We don't know its intonations, its inflection, nothing. Many artists out of their own imaginations, because the Gospels give them no clues, have painted many images of Christ. But you see, God wanted no image of his son to become an idol. And so the Holy Spirit kept that from us. Incredibly, 30 years of Jesus' life, the Gospel writers wrote virtually nothing. One incident in the temple when he was a boy, talking to the theologians of his day. That's it. But it was the last three and a half years they read about. And it's that that truly gives us the character of Christ. And that's why it's important for us to read the story and be reminded again and again of that advent of Christ and read the New Testament. Why am I saying this today? Because at this Advent season, we need to refocus our eyes again on the one that Christmas is truly about. Now, leaving aside whether Jesus was born on the 25th of December, because nobody really knows that. We just don't know. Leaving aside any pagan influences that are about Christmas today, I think the point of it is, is to celebrate a time 
when Christ did come into this world. It's undeniable. Yes, it's true that there's no specific command in Scripture to celebrate the first advent of Christ. There isn't. That's true. And that's why some people, some Christians say, well, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. But I don't agree. I think we should. In John 10, Jesus went up to the Feast of Dedication or the Festival of Lights. Hanukkah, it's called today. Or the Feast of the Maccabeans. And this was looking back to a time about 160 years before Christ, whenever the Maccabees, whenever they fought their enemies and took back the temple and rededicated unto God and had a festival of lights there. Now, it was not obligatory to go to this, but Jesus felt he should go when he went. Who better to go to the festival of lights than the light of the world? to show himself as the light of the world. Now, this feast was not like any of the three great pilgrimage feasts like Passover or Pentecost or Tabernacles, where they were commanded to go three times a year up to the temple and worship a whole feast. No, it wasn't obligatory. But somehow Jesus felt the need to go there. Even though it wasn't in the law to go, or God didn't command it, but he felt the need. And even though we as believers, as Christians, are not obligated to hold Christmas as an event, but yet I think it's good that we do. It's good that one day a year at least we remember that Christ came into this world. Now for those of us who regularly wear glasses, spectacles as I do, you will know that after maybe three, four years, usually you'll need to change your prescription. Because our eyes get older and tireder. We lose our focus. So we've got to refocus again. And I think Christmas, the Advent, is a time to refocus again on the person of Christ. And to think about his coming, his first coming. Knowing that he's going to come back again. But looking back, thinking about his first coming. And all that that entailed and what that meant to this world. Spiritually speaking, we, we lose our focus, don't we? You know, we go through our Christian life and we're busy, busy at times and, and we're doing our work and we've got, you know, our responsibilities of life. And, and sometimes in all of that, you can lose your focus on Christ. You can come to church and lose your focus on Christ. You can sing the hymns and still lose your focus. You've got to take time by yourself, on your own, with your Bible open, praying, seeking the Lord and focusing again on Christ. And so let's just take a few moments this morning to do that, just to focus on the reason for Christmas. First of all, it was a time of visitation. Galatians 4.4, but when the time was fully come, God sent forth his son. Aren't you glad he just didn't send us an instruction book or send an angel? But he personally came. His son came to this earth. And Psalm 8, the psalmist says, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visited him? And the word visited means with intent, with purpose, with reason. And God sent his son with intent, with purpose, for a reason. There was a time of visitation. He personally came. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 68, and you don't need to turn to these, by the way. 
And this is a prophecy of Zacharias. It says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. It was a time of visitation. And then chapter 7, verse 16. Then fear came upon all. They glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. And then I look 19 and verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And that was the tragedy that Jesus prophesied. That they didn't realize the time of their visitation. They rejected their Messiah. They rejected the Christ. Didn't recognize him as such. Missed the day of their visitation. And what an awful price they paid for that. Terrible. But it was a time of visitation. History is marked with the occasion of his birth. B.C.A.D. Before Christ, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. They even tried to change that to B.C.E. Before the common era. Hmm. During the Roman rule, there was a thing called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And albeit it was an enforced peace, if Rome took, Rome took over the nation, any nation, as long as they paid their taxes and were subservient, as long as they didn't rebel and uprise, they would let them get on and worship their gods and do their business. And so there was a peace, an enforced peace, but a peace nonetheless. And that's the time when Jesus came when all those Roman roads were being built, when those new shipping lanes opened up, when the ways for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth, for the church would be born and missionaries would go out to the ends of the earth. So Jesus came at just the right time. His visitation was just at the right time. You know, through history there's been visitations, visitations of the Holy Spirit, you know, there was a period, and I, I was just a boy at the time, in the 50s in Northern Ireland, there was a visitation. There was tremendous things were happening. Many, many hundreds of people were coming into the kingdom. It was a time of visitation. The Holy Spirit came and moved mightily. And down through history in different nations at different times, there's visitations. And we don't want to miss the day of our visitation. It'd be wonderful if the Lord would send another visitation, wouldn't it? Hmm? You think we'd be ready for it? You know, people fondly talk about revival. I'm not sure if we'd be ready for it. I think we would need a massive change of heart. If you have to drag yourself out to the house of God, you're not ready for revival. You're not ready for revival. Because revival would take up your time a lot. But amen, Lord, send it anyway. Praise God. Some will be ready for it. It was a time of visitation. Christmas was a time of incarnation. Galatians 4 and 4. 
But when the time was fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. But aren't all men born of a woman? Every man that's ever been born has been born of a woman. And so the Holy Spirit is not stately obvious here. He's reminding us of the supernaturalness of his coming into this world. And even though his birth, actually when he was being born, that was quite natural. He was born as any other baby would be born. Mary would give birth as any other woman would give birth. But it was his conception. You remember Mary, how when the angel came, she says, how can this be? I don't know a man. But he says, the power of the highest will overshadow you. And that holy one that's born of you shall be the son of God. It was supernatural. No need for a man to be involved. Just the power of God and the woman. Jesus was called the seed of the woman, not of the man, but the seed of the woman. So it was supernatural. It was a God thing. Can you explain it? Of course not. You can't biologically explain it. Never in a million years. It was a God thing. It was God's doing. It was a time of incarnation. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Somebody says, our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. You can't explain that. You receive it and accept it by faith because God did it. Colossians 2.9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was a miracle. It was a supernatural event that happened. 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. This is what theologians call the hypostatic union, that divinity and humanity coalesce together in one. And he is the God-man. Somebody said he was so much like God, he wasn't man, and he was so much like man, he wasn't God, but he was the God-man. And he's still the God-man today. He never divested himself of that human body he took upon him when he came to this earth. The old prince is still in his hands. When we see him, we shall see him as he is. Glorified, absolutely. But we'll see him as a man in the glory. It was a time of incarnation. Christmas was a time of revelation. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. What a revelation it was when man finally began to understand that the law could not save them. No matter how hard they would try, they would continually break that law. Only Christ who came could keep that law perfectly. And if we receive him and accept what he did on the cross to save us, then that will make us righteous in him. Not that we have any righteousness of our own, but we will be righteous in him. It was a time of revelation. Luke 2.32, Simeon called him a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. That's us. 
The world was a very, very dark place when Jesus came. Horribly dark, pagan. But Christ came as a light into a dark world. And he became a light for us. We have the revelation of who he is and what he has done for us. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Of course he is the light of the world, isn't he? He said he was. And then John 1 4, and him was life and his life was the light of man. His life in us has enlightened us, has given us light, has shone on our dark, sinful hearts and has given us light. What a wonderful thing it is. Glory to God. John chapter 3, verse 16 and following, and you know it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Most crime is committed in the hours of darkness. That's a fact. Under the cover of darkness. Because man hates light. Because light exposes. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may be done in God. This is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light. That's what condemns a man or woman that they will not come to Christ, the light of the world. They want to stay in the darkness. They want to stay hidden in the darkness rather than face the light of the world. And the moment you and I came and repented and surrendered to Christ, then our lives was flooded with light. We saw things that we had never seen before. We understood things we never had known before because the light of God enlightened us. Glory to God. Somebody says that God lit a candle in Bethlehem and Herod tried to snuff it out. But by the time Herod got the news from the wise men, by the time he sent his thugs there to kill that infant, they were gone. Gone to Egypt, escaped. And the light went into Egypt. And stayed there for a while and then came back when Herod was gone. And it's been the light of the world ever since. Can't snuff that light out. Glory to God. See, God was beginning to reveal his great, wonderful plan of redemption. Glory to God. And what a revelation it is for every man and every woman to find Christ. It's life-changing, isn't it, folks? All of us who know Christ can say this was life-changing. We never knew what life really was until we met Christ. And then our lives is completely changed. Yes, there's difficulties. Yes, there's tough times. Yes, there's stuff you go through. Yes, there's all of that. But I tell you what, I would rather go through it with Christ than without him. <laughs> I would rather be saved and go through hard times than not be saved and go through it. 
Christmas was a time of visitation. It was a time of incarnation. It was a time of revelation. It was also a time of reconciliation. In verse 5 of Colossians 4, that we might receive the adoption as sons. 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We were estranged from God ever since Adam and Eve in the garden disobeyed and that gulf between man and God came into place. We have been estranged from God ever since. And God sent his son to bridge that gulf. God sent his son in order to us to be reconciled to him. And if you're saved and born again today, you have been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you're not saved today, if you're not born again, you can be. You can be reconciled to God through the work that Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Job in chapter 9 of his book, Job was being accused by his so-called comforters of being a sinful man who was trying to be acting like a godly man, but truly they believed he was a sinful man and God was punishing him. And Job, in the midst of all of that and all that was happening to his physical body and his family and all, and all of that, he says, oh, he says, that there was a day's man, that there was a mediator, an umpire that come between God and me, that could lay a hand upon both of us, he says, that could understand me and understand God at the same time. That's what he was praying. Little did he know when he prayed that prayer, little did he know that God already had a plan to send a day's man, an umpire, a mediator between God and man. One who fully understand the holiness of God and the purity of God and the righteousness of God and yet the sinfulness of man. And he knew my sins my sinfulness, yet he was holy and Christ came to take the hand of a holy God, the hand of a sinful man and bring us together, reconcile us unto himself. Only Christ could do that. Only the work of the cross could do that. And so he sent his only son into this world 2,000 years ago in that first advent. Sent him down as a Helpless little baby, born in a crib to go to a cross to come back with a crown. What a saviour. Mm, what a wonderful, wonderful story is the gospel, isn't it? Isn't it glorious? Only God's mind could think of this. Let me just finish with this. New Living Translation. Let me just read it, just a few verses from Romans 5. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they are good for us 
They help us to learn to endure, and endurance develops strength of character in us, and character strengthens our confident expectation of salvation. And this expectation will not disappoint us, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with this love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, no one is likely to die for a good person, though some may be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we will, he will certainly save us from God's judgment. Thank God. For since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. Glory to God. Amen. So there's a reason for Christmas. And there's every reason why we should celebrate it as believers in Christ. Yes, I know there's stuff that's attached to it and worldly stuff that is added on. But when you get to the heart of it, when you get to the real reason of it, there's every reason for us to be blessed and to thank God for his coming to this earth to save us from our sins. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I'm glad he saved me from my sins. I don't know where I'd have been today if it wasn't for Christ. Huh? We could have been in hell today if it wasn't for Christ. But thank God he saved us. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your Son, the lovely and precious Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you did not spare your own Son, but you gave him freely for us to die upon that cross. But we bless you, you sent him 2,000 years ago to that little stable. And in the, even though he came almost unnoticed, yet your plan was set in motion so that the whole world will one day know that he is Lord of lords and King of all kings. So we praise you and we give you thanks for so great salvation today. We thank you for this life of Christ in us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who empowers us. And Lord, we remember this week the advent of your Son, Jesus. So we bless you, we honor you, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name.